good day to apologise. This was a misstep on my part. Trevor Mallard shuffles off. And the winners and losers in the EU FTA. One News Inside Parliament. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a regular catch-up about the political stories we have been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. And thank you so much for joining us on this week's instalment. We're going to start off in our traditional way with pits, peaks and interesting points. Who would like to kick us off today? Mikey Sherman. Mikey Sherman. Um, So I'll start with my peak then, and I will wind the clock back, perhaps two weeks back, to the Tauranga by-election. Nice to be back out in the uh, provinces, in the regions, uh, covering the Tauranga by-election. Of course, it was a safe blue seat, um, but I think that uh, what it showed was a growing momentum for the National Party. I think that, um, you know, they've been going up and up in the polls recently and I think that um, growing their majority in that Tauranga seat um, really just sort of added to the momentum that we're seeing um, uh, with National and um, no doubt a uh, nerve-wracking time for the Labour Party. Yeah, it was... was you know, good old-fashioned by-election. Yep, it wasn't close, but it was really interesting and telling as those numbers came in, it was and, good. And speaking of by-elections, we may yet have another one in Rongotai with uh, backbench Labour MP Paul Eagle uh, confirming his run for the Wellington mayoralty this week. I was so week. shocked. I, I was shocked Brand too. new information. The worst kept secret in Wellington. Um, but of course he's off on leave for three months to try and get that gig. And if he if he is successful, it'll spark a by-election. And that will be an opportunity for the Labour Party to prove my theory wrong about the growing momentum that National has. If they can maintain their majority, because it's a safe Labour seat in Nongotai, if they can maintain and grow that majority then all right, let's go. All bets are off. It's going to be a good election. If not, you know, if they don't see the same growth that the National Party saw in Tauranga, questions will need to be asked. Mm. I kind of feel like it is a safe Labour seat, though, and they could, those two things could be true. The momentum is growing, but I think they could still win. The more, uh, one of the interesting points I reckon, though, is if he doesn't win that, he'll be welcomed back in as a Member of Parliament as your second favourite job to do. So imagine if he doesn't win and he just comes back to being an MP. That just doesn't seem right. Uh, it's a me. little bit shameless, isn't it? It's a little bit shameless. And also you wouldn't really want to come back. But also being a member of parliament is a big deal. But I mean uh, his leave also isn't isn't sort of without precedent. I mean Phil Goff took 3 months off when he ran for the Auckland mayoralty and I know that Phil Goff had a meeting with um, Paul Eagle uh, in the week leading up to his decision and, and sort of you know gave him the advice that he should just take leave as opposed to resign completely. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes in Longotai. Yeah, so who, who do the good people of Longotai go to um, over the next 3 months? Well, they, they talk to their local MP. Paul Eagle's saying that he'll still have his office running, his electorate office. But I mean, yeah, they're guys, they're guys outskis. I mean, maybe yeah. they just go to a public meeting and when he puts questions to the floor about um, his policies for mayor, maybe they just be like, oh, I've got an electorate issue to raise. Um, just do it that way. It might be the simplest way. Um, I have a couple of um, one peak, which was um, Chris Hipkins apologising to Charlotte Ballas. Uh, over the sharing some of her private information and getting that wrong. And the reason I think that that 
um, was a significant and important apology to make in public is that I remember that day covering that when that statement came out from Chris Hipkins saying she'd um, been offered consular assistance, that she um, had been um, turned down spots in MIQ. I think that shaped the narrative of that coverage and definitely shaped some of the online um, chatter against Charlotte Ballas. And I think it was important that the minister came out and apologised for that publicly. Not He did at the time, um, but I just do think that that was an important step to take because I do think that that information that was not correct did shape and cloud the coverage of that. Yeah, and fascinating too how um, Charlotte Bellis, I think, just ran rings repeatedly around the government. You know, I remember when she first came out saying that the, you know, the Taliban were um, more supportive of her than the New Zealand government. Um, that kind of kicked things off, and, and now you know she's getting apologies from um, the, the minister as well. Um, my peak this week, fascinating little story popped up. A um, journalist at the Otago Daily Times, Oscar Francis, had um, uh, did a great job digging through a document dump of the police, and uh, right at the very bottom, um, found an OAA who someone had OAA'd the police after um, uh, feeling that their hearing had been damaged at the Parliament protest and riot. And in that OIA response, police came back and revealed that they um, used two long-range acoustic devices, or LRADs, um, otherwise known as sonic cannons, um, during, during the protest. And then uh, our cameraman, um, Sam Anderson, very brilliantly remembered he had actually filmed it. Um, and these are quite controversial um, weapons. They can be used as a loud hailer, but they also have a siren setting. And police overseas, including uh, the NYPD, have vowed never to use the siren setting again after um, permanently damaging the hearing of multiple people, including journalists and photographers who were at a Black Lives Matter uh, protest a few years ago. Uh, our police were using the siren setting here. Basically, we went to them, but they said because the IPCA... IPCA is investigating what happened on the day of the riot and, and police actions. They couldn't really say very much. But fascinating that, um, yeah, they, they deployed these um, sonic cannons on the protesters. And to give you a little bit of insight um, into the behind the scenes of that, um, Sam, our camera op, is in our press gallery office. And when we were talking about it, he said, oh, look, I remember it. And it vaguely rang a bell with me too. He had been filming for many, many days, for many, many hours. And for him to be able to remember that shot, he had also recorded it onto his phone and could go through and, uh, you know, he was just sitting at his desk for half an hour or so and then he said, oh, I've, I think I've found it and had pinpointed the shot that he found. So it does just give you an insight into sort of the behind-the-scenes uh, what goes on with these yeah. stories of digging through the footage. So Yeah, so we ended up doing a story on it. And so we sort of start the day knowing nothing about these sonic cannons, and then we ended up speaking to an expert in, in um, Melbourne who basically studies um, the, these weapons. Um, yeah, fascinating stuff that happened there. I think it's dangerous because I think it sets a precedent is, is the issue. And I think that, you know, with the even with the police minister, Chris Hipkins, and yes, he's new into the into the portfolio, but what did he say? He said that he, uh, he, was, said he, he had he no about knowledge it. Yeah. about it, yeah. which I find extraordinary because I saw Andrew Costa, you know, arrive at Parliament just this week on Monday, and um, you would have expected that he would have perhaps briefed the minister, given that the police knew that they were doing this massive OIA dump even earlier in the month, that at some point he would have been briefed on, hey, you know, 
know, potentially these were some we of the big issues that might weapons. come up in the yeah. media out of this out of this big dump. So, you know, no surprises. Um, you should know about this. And and the other thing is just that in general, I think a lot of Kiwis will be worried about this type of tool being used that's been kind of outlawed by the NYPD. Well, um, yeah, they won't use the sirens. You know, that they won't on it. use them yeah. anymore because yeah. of the damage to the hearing, and and that will pose a real concern to Kiwis who, you know, really uphold the right of people to protest. And so to have it's like a blank. The issue is it's not even targeted; it's a blanket sort of tool that can just kind yeah. of yeah. And so one of the things I learned is that the the way these cannons work is they kind of the sound comes out almost like a almost like a laser beam. So it's very very directional. Um, and, 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 yeah, you turn it on a crowd, and it was fascinating watching the footage of the, as the police officer walked down and started aiming it at different people, and all the people around them were sticking their fingers in their ears trying to block the, trying to block the noise. Um, and the other fascinating thing is they designed this um, in the wake of, uh, I think it was Al-Qaeda terror attack on the USS Cole, um, US warship. Um, uh, the sailors there could see a small boat approaching, were trying to, communicate with them saying hey you're getting too close but didn't think they could hear them turns out they got way too close and detonated the bomb that was on their boat and took out their ship basically and so they designed these um, sonic cannons to make sure that basically if uh, to I think they're accurate or you can target sound out to like 600 metres so they'd be able to really you know um, communicate with those boats and make sure that they got the message so that they wouldn't get that close again. Yeah, it's a fascinating issue. The other thing I just wanted to point out very quickly is that there were some changes this week to our electoral rules, um, proposed changes, so looking at um, allowing expats overseas to vote at the upcoming election, which seems like a slightly interesting um, political choice for the Labour Party, given that quite a few expats are pretty mad with them about the MIQ situation. Um, So that could potentially be about 400,000 Kiwis who could um, now be eligible to vote because they'll be because they haven't been back to New Zealand in that time, um, they will still be able to vote and and decide what goes on here. And also some changes to the donation rules. So some if you're a if you're a political party donor, um, have a have a check of those updated proposed rules before the next election to make sure that you're not caught out or start organising your mates to make donations of four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars on your behalf. Another interesting thing that's happened this week is that Parliament has announced that there'll be a new watchdog in town for MPs. Bad, bad behaviour. Anyone behaving badly uh, may come under the uh, the wrath, the power of the newly appointed commissioner. Um, for uh, conduct standards, basically. So it comes off the back of the 2019 um, report review by Debbie Francis into the culture at Parliament, which found a number of failings and a number of harassment um, issues and bullying issues there. And so all of the parties except for the ACT Party support this new independent kind of watchdog role. The ACT Party says basically that anyone who isn't elected should not have so much power over elected officials. So, I mean, that'll be, that's that'll an interesting, be interesting point, eh? I think so. Yeah. Did you have your? Have you done your pits and your peaks? Other quickly, I'll yes. cover off no, no, a, another fine. interesting um, little development. Uh, remember last year we did did a um, series of stories about Air New Zealand. They'd been working with the um, Saudi military. I filed some um, OIAs around that Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Uh, initially tried uh, tried to refuse. Refused to release absolutely anything, um, but after fighting and taking it to the ombudsman, finally they they did 
um, release a whole bunch of documents to me. And what it showed is that a few days after we revealed they were um, w- working with the Saudi military, they promptly stopped doing that work and, and apologised to New Zealand for that. But it shows that a top-level phone call took place between Air New Zealand CEO and Ben King, who's the Deputy Chief Executive at um, MFAT. Uh, and they tried to um, hide the topic of that conversation, but figured out that it was um, uh, basically they, because Air New Zealand had revealed its other customers and they included Turkey and Taiwan, uh, and they ha- had a phone call about that. And very quickly afterwards, Air New Zealand also decided to stop working uh, for Turkey and Taiwan. Uh, Air New Zealand said, that, said in a statement to us that they decided that they were no longer uh, strategic customers and they wouldn't work with them anymore. Um, but, yeah, they wouldn't release the exact details. They're keeping that part secret about, about what Mr King did say about their work for those militaries. But, yeah, interesting stuff. So they abandoned work for those uh, countries too. And an example of why the Official Information Act is such a powerful and necessary tool for granting, getting access and information out to the public. It's yeah, I did, I did actually, I, I did appeal, um, I tried to find out exactly what they'd said. Uh, I said, you know, to the ombudsman, I want the truth. But unfortunately, uh, they said you can't handle the truth on that one. So we didn't get that. <laughs> bum uh, Let's, on that note, um, let us move on, which the listeners may be very um, grateful for. Um, shall we talk about the EU FTA? So that's um, news that's just happened overnight here um, as we're recording this on Friday. And a big deal, um, $1.8 billion um, Pretty good. Uh, I mean, my analysis of it is it's pretty good deal. Not so great for dairy and for beef, which is perhaps to be expected, but not terrible. Um, beef and dairy will both come out and loudly, or have both come out and loudly said, "Look, it's not as much as we wanted," and I think that's a given. But overall, some pretty good wins in what's been a very long, arduous set of negotiations over multiple governments. Yeah, one uh, a fascinating thing. I thought um, we recently sent a, a five M like a cross party group of national Labour MPs up to Europe, and they came back with a story on that last week as well. And um, uh, basically, they went up. Um, uh, the, Trevor Mallon was on the trip. Barbara Kuriga, a few others. But um, I spoke to them, and they basically said they went around to all these different countries and talked to their MPs. Uh, you know, their, their counterparts over there, and, and basically all the conversations were around dairy. And they were saying, um, like it was really strong language. Barbara Kuriga said, um, you know, that she was telling them that New Zealand had reached its environmental capacity when it came to the dairy industry. Um, our milk supply would no longer go up, and neither would our herd size because our. Um, she told me also that, um, you know, in, in in many catchments we've got too many cows in New Zealand, which is pretty strong stuff coming from the National Party, especially and, given her background. As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Trevor Mallard came out and said, yeah, he, he had been telling them up there that, you know, New Zealand's reached peak cow and we were, there's no way we'd be producing a lot more milk than we do now and swamping their market. So, yeah, they, they were really focused on dairy. So interesting to see they didn't really get much. The dairy industry is pretty disappointed. Um, dairy Companies Association in New Zealand said this morning um, that the trade deal leaves the EU market 98.5% closed to key New Zealand dairy products. So despite that big push up there by our um, MPs on that trip, mm. um, they didn't get it over the line when it came to dairy. Yeah, but, you know... A lot of other winners, though, right? A lot of other winners, a mm. lot of other winners. And, you know, you can't walk away from a $1.8 billion deal, and I think it was good for... I mean, it's 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 an even better deal than the UK free trade deal that we got at the end of last year, according to the government. And I think, like, you know, just with 
Zisbury yet again. Geez, they've got such strong global influence, don't they? They come off well in this deal, as if they're not doing so so great, you know, already. They're already such a powerhouse around the around the whole world, Zisbury. Um, so kiwi fruit there, wine, the good old manuka state honey, monopoly. right? Mm. Uh, you know, all, all of those going to be um, accessing tariff-free uh, from when this agreement comes into force. So seafood also currently facing 25% tariffs. They'll be gone on day one. So, you Don't know, huge onions. there. Onions, they're crying with joy. Wow, <laughs> you guys are on fire today. Um, actually, speaking of bad jokes or good jokes, depending on which way you look at it, um, feta obviously is, is, a, is part of this FTA is something that, that we can't use the name of in New Zealand anymore. But Mikey Sherman came up with a really eloquent solution for our re-band- rebranding of feta in New Zealand. That's right, folks. It's called W-H-E-T-A, the Māori word, feta. Genius. So All you're right. welcome and quickly yes. go and trademark Manuka that. honey that, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, can you tell it's Friday and we're about to go into a three-week <laughs> recess? I think we need it. Let's talk about reshuffle as well. Um, no, no, actually, let's talk about Simon O'Connor first because that was most recent for us. Um, it all started with a post. Today is a good day. Benedict Collins. Yeah, unfortunately, that day uh, was the decision of the US Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, the abortion, um, you know, the, the ruling that gave women in America the right to access abortions, right? Um, so that uh, post quickly started gaining a huge amount of um, furious reaction, and it quickly um, turned into a bad day for Simon O'Connor's boss, Christopher Luxon. In fact, a series of bad days, because he put out uh, multiple statements on over the weekend trying to um, tell people that this was not the um, National Party's position. Uh, they got Simon O'Connor to take the post down after a phone call, Um uh, between Christopher Luxon and Simon O'Connor. Uh, and then Christopher Luxon ended up doing interviews with us on Monday, and then it totally dominated Parliament on Tuesday as well. So about um, a week, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the last thing Christopher Luxon needs is to uh, have his own views, you know, um, on abortion. Uh, he's anti-abortion, you know, dragged into the spotlight. Um, but that happened for multiple days in a row. Um, yeah, so a pretty messy week for... Um, national, thanks to Simon O'Connor's post. To me, this is about political judgment for Simon O'Connor. He's an experienced MP. Um, it's no shock he, that he uh, is pro-life. He trained as a priest. He has religious views. He's at the more conservative end of national. It's not about that. It's about his choice to express it. The biggest weakness for Christopher Luxon is um, being seen as too conservative um, and too religious yeah. for your average New Zealander. So anyone with any political mouse would go, oh, that's a weakness for my boss. Maybe I'll keep my celebratory remarks to myself. Maybe I'll just share them with my wife and a few of my close neighbours. Maybe I'll just lay low, pipe down. He did not. He put it out there, then went and did some water blasting and couldn't be contacted for a couple of hours. So it just showed poor judgment. I don't. Th- I think it's really important that we have a, a parliament that represents New Zealanders in all their views, but I think you've got to have a bit of political savvy in these situations too. What were your thoughts? Absolutely agree with all of those points that you just made. Um, it, it is about about the optics of it for the National Party, who has only just, you know, 
starting to get on the momentum that I spoke about at the start of the podcast and they're, they're finally getting their ish together. And then Simon O'Connor decides to chuck on ice cubes, today was a good day, and do some water blasting. If you don't know that song, check it out on Spotify. Um, and, and instead of just texting his good old mate Simeon Brown saying today's a good day, he decided to put it up on Facebook. And it caused this massive distraction when National had just come off the high of a Tauranga by-election win and they're doing so well in the polls. And yes, you know, uh, Christopher Luxon doesn't want his own personal views dragged into it when he himself has called abortion akin to murder. Um, so um, a massive destruction, uh, distraction. I think, though, the National Party did very well to get it under wraps and under control on that Tuesday when Simon O'Connor came out to the um, press media run, if you like, we call it the caucus run. Uh, I thought he, I thought he did really good in that um, stand up. I thought he did enough to sort of, you know, hold his conviction on his personal view, but to, um, you know, accept accountability for it without sort of putting it onto the boss. So I thought, I thought he did quite well on that. It just um, seemed like stand-up. he was honest. And that's a really good way. If you're a press seek advising them, tell the truth. I do. I there. do think that it is somewhat of a worry, um, just fundamentally, to have what is a conscience issue now looking like it's being um, an issue that is whipped in the National Party. Agreed. It, it, by the way that Christopher Luxon says, and, and there was no other way around it. I mean, he had to give those assurances because it was becoming such a huge distraction and, and is, is a very sore point for a lot of people for valid reasons across the country. But he had to essentially whip the party, and they'll say there's no gag order and that sort of thing. But when, when the leader says no changes to abortion under my watch on a conscience issue... That that's whipping, that's that that's whipping on the issue. So um, that that issue now uh, sitting firmly in the party quarter as opposed to um, the individuals. Yeah, and interesting too. Christopher Luxon just time and time again just really trying to get that message out there to reassure New Zealand women that you know abortion laws will not change. You know, if I'm prime minister under a national league government, just really you know again and again sort of going back to that line trying to. Re- reassure the public. I thought um, one of the interesting things I thought with Simon O'Connor, he'd obviously been copying it from other national MPs because he, he held up his phone and, and, and said, yeah, I will be apologising apologizing, uh, in caucus, like I have been, you know, getting the message to, to multiple people who had obviously been contacting him directly. Like Nica, Nic- Nicola Grigg, uh, national spokesperson for women, was um, she was interesting. You know, she said she thought his um, Facebook post was highly offensive and not just to, to women but also to men, um, you know, and, completely insensitive as well. So quite strong words from her. Yeah, and I think the um, party will be analysing how they could do things better. This was their first big test. The first one probably would be um, communicating quickly from the leader, the party line um, with those big international stories that are going to get attention, perhaps then putting up, because he did such a good job on Tuesday of just explaining things and apologising, perhaps putting Simon O'Connor up on the Monday might have been a smart move to. I do think though that they do get points for not um, shying away from it and trying to sneak him into the caucus. You know, Simon O'Connor fronted up on that Tuesday and Christopher Luxon fronted up on the Wednesday and I think that's important um, for them to, I I think they should get props for doing that. Also, 
sorry, I was just going to say Grant Robertson, I think, deserves some props. He kind of ran it a good one for the government in terms of putting that pressure on um, Christopher Luxon and the National Party, um, which is something that Jacinda Ardern just simply cannot do in the same. I've just haven't, you know, we've spoken a bit in the last few weeks, you know, about Grant Robertson and how important it has been to have him bring the fire and the mongrel for Labour who traditionally haven't really kind of stepped into that territory, especially with Jacinda Ardern and her whole be kind mantra. It kind of um, it kind of means that she can't really get into the rough and tumble of things, but Grant Robertson does that very well. And when she's out of the country and he takes those post-Cabinet press conferences on a Monday, that's when you really sort of um, see him fire up and it, and it kind of does well for Labour. And they'll be, they'll be doing a lot more of that heading into the election. We saw Chris Hipkins trying to jump all over Mark Mitchell um, over something that probably didn't really warrant it, but um, you can see that they're trying to step up their kind of mongrel side. Yeah, and I, I think Simon O'Connor would be um, would do well to sort of keep his head down for a while. I, I imagine he's on pretty thin ice at the moment. If he, I think if he did something akin to this again, mm. yeah, I think it'd be bye bye, Mr. O'Connor. The other interesting thing, actually, I thought was the Peter Goodfellow announced resignation. I'm too, I'm in two minds about that because when I saw him at the Tauranga by-election, one of the things, and I'll, I'll say this here because this is inside Parliament, this is a podcast, you want to kind of get our thoughts, but I was, I was watching the kind of relationship or the kind of lack thereof between Christopher Luxon and Peter Goodfellow, like there was no acknowledgement by Christopher Luxon in his speech really to to Peter Goodfellow, even though he was standing right there as the party president and they just sort of won something. Peter Goodfellow didn't get an opportunity to give any kind of remarks and that sort of thing. He's lucky that I interviewed him afterwards. But and, and I don't know, it just didn't seem like, you know, Peter Goodfellow has been holding on to that position with his bloody almost dead hands, you know what I mean? Um, despite multiple attacks on multiple fronts, including from former National Party speakers, David Carter, storming out of the National Party conference just last year, and yet to give it up so easily and without a fuss, I'm just like, Mm-mm, I don't buy it. What's happening behind the scenes? Tell me. Call me. Not creepy at all. <laughs> um, let's touch very briefly on the reshuffle then. Um, and there were some big changes. Mallard is uh, Trevor Mallard, the right honourable speaker, is off to Ireland. Uh, not confirmed yet, but again, you know, kind of like poor legal, um, you know, worst kept secret. Mm. Yeah, um, Chris Farfoy, former TVNZ colleague and broadcasting minister, is calling it quits on politics. Uh, Porter Williams out. Those are the sort of big ones. What did yeah, you not, guys? Not quite out, but out of the police portfolio. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm try- I was trying yeah. to be speedy. Well, I, th- I thought Trevor Miller was interesting. The timing because um, we had polled, uh, I think, the week before, um, on whether the public thought he was doing a good job. And what was it, Mikey? What percent thought? Was it 17 17 17 thought he was doing a good job. Yeah, and... 48% said he wasn't, and the rest didn't know. Yeah, so it was a pretty big vote of no confidence in um, Parliament's speaker uh, by the the public. And And I think it was two days later he um, told Jacinda that he would be leaving shortly um, for his, yeah, cushy ambassador role. Yeah, interesting stuff. So I also the don't second time in short. Um, I also don't buy the timing of that. I, f- I feel like I feel like definitely the poll and the growing momentum of concern around Trevor Mallard would have definitely expediated 
um, expedited, sorry, that deployment um, because Trevor Mallard has got a big, um, you know, kind of, there's a, there's a big workload ahead and no one saw it coming. It was the biggest bombshell and I just think that the, the poll must have contributed hugely to that. And and you could tell that he was under pressure that week because the, the so we put the poll out on the Tuesday and then on the Wednesday, lo and behold, he was scheduled to appear before the select committee um, to talk about, you know, this, this sort of parliament services and the speaker role and that sort of thing. And... Um, Traditionally, when uh, you know chief executives of different government departments or whoever's appearing before a select committee, traditionally afterward there is an understanding that they'll stop and give interviews to the media. That's usually what happens. Um, and geez, the speaker, true to form, just bowled out of that door like a bull out of the gates and just you know started running for it down the hallway and we were right there with him just hoping that we wouldn't get pinged or infringed by the speaker himself for breaking any sort of rules around parliament which are quite strict I might have you have you know uh, dear listener um, and and uh, and once we got to this certain point it was the doorways um, of, of the um, select committee hallways you can't film beyond that point so immediately you have to stop. So if people are kind of wondering, oh, why did we cut out of that? Anyway, that's just some interesting detail. But the pressure was on. And then the, and then the next day, you know, you just didn't hear a peep out of him. Or was it the same day? Anyway, in question time, where usually you'd hear the speaker sort of order, order, and, you know, just kind of the, the rough and tumble of, of the debate. Um, he was quiet as a mouse. Yeah, funny, and I, it was eh? so, Contemplative. Yeah, it was so interesting to watch. And then, mm. bang, Monday, gone burger. So, yeah, another Labour Party bad boy getting a, um ambassador role. Poor bad girl. And um, Lewis Awards case, eh? Yeah. Well, on that note, I think uh, we shall leave it there. This was One News Inside Parliament, our regular catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available each week on One News Online. And check us out on your favourite podcasting apps. Thanks so much for joining us. (laughs) 